myth, magic, medicine, and everything in between. Two doctors talking. Welcome to Myth Magic Medicine with me, Denise Villamir here, and my guest today is Trina Dora, who's an internal medicine specialist, a hospitalist, and also a life coach. And I'm going to let Trina tell you all about herself and her life in Texas. Hi, Trina. Thank you so much for coming. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, like you said, my name is Trina, and I am a practicing hospitalist. I have been at my current job for 14 years, and so I really do enjoy hospital medicine. And then in 2020, I became a life coach. So I am also a life coach in addition to continuing to practice medicine. Now, did you become a life coach as, as a result of an issue that you needed to fix and you realize the value of life coaching or did you just were you just inspired by another person practicing was, life coaching right <laughs> I was inspired by someone else it's interesting I had hired actually a weight loss coach <laughs> back in 2019 I had worked with him before and I rehired him in 2019 and then he said well I just want to let you know I still do a little bit of weight loss but actually I've become a life coach. So mm -hmm. my program is life coaching and I didn't know what that was. I was just like, "Oh okay, well I'll give it a try." <laughs> and so I joined his program and I really found that all of the other stuff he was doing was much more exciting and interesting to me than the part he was doing about nutrition and, and weight loss. Do you think and, that was because with a physician background, you already knew the actual didactic stuff? It's, well, it's putting it, in practice just, is different. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't really know <laughs> that life coaches, I guess, existed. Like, I'm sure mm -hmm. I'd heard of them, but I'd never had one before. I didn't know anybody who was a life coach. And so just seeing the mindset work that he had us doing and seeing the impact that it was making on other people who were in the group, I was fascinated. I was just like, oh my goodness, like these, the, the people in this group were so grateful to him and they were talking about how their life had changed. And I was like, this is what we try to do as physicians all the time, but mm -hmm. get yelled at or <laughs> all kinds of right. other things right. we have to deal with as physicians. And he's helping people just like, I help people as a physician and he's really changing lives just like we affect people's lives, but in a different way. And that was where I first was kind of like, wow, this is really interesting. It sort of goes along with the healing personality that we already have as physicians. And that's when I first said, I think I might want to explore this a little more. So I ended up joining a life, co a separate life coaching program and then deciding to become a life coach myself. Okay. And you have a particular niche within that? Yes. I love general life coaching. So I do love doing general life coaching and I have a special interest in helping physicians stop binge eating. Okay. I saw on another profile of you though, that you're into body acceptance, which yes. is I think a really big issue for most women, probably for the planet, but for women especially. Yes, well, I definitely think that there has to be some body acceptance or body neutrality work, at least, to go along with the journey of recovering from binge eating. So I do think mm -hmm. that those two go hand in hand. A lot of times on that journey of recovering from binge eating, there's a lot of hatred for how you look and desire to look different and dealing with emotions that come up from that with food. And so part of the healing journey is also learning how to become a little bit more accepting of your body and what it looks like. Self-love, which is another thing that you 
you concentrate on. <laughs> yes, yes. Although, you know, I always tell people, if you go from, if, if you're starting out hating how you look and you really can't find anything you love about yourself, you're not going to instantly go to self-love. No. Like it's not going to happen that quickly. And even myself, I would not say that I love my body and how it looks. And I've been on this journey almost two years. I definitely think I'm much more just at kind of the body neutrality, body acceptance phase. Mm -hmm. But at least the people who come to you have recognized that they want help and they want to go there. And that's a form of self-love, just the fact that they're taking the time to take care of themselves. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, I definitely would say I have a high degree of self-love, still working on the actual love of the way the physical body looks. Yeah, okay. Do you say think there are unrealistic expectations of what can be achieved? I mean, I'm I'm a very European-looking female who's five foot two. I and I have gray blue eyes. I used to sit in front of the mirror when I was eight years old and will my eyes to turn brown because everybody had blue eyes where I live. It was boring. It, you know, do we have realistic expectations of of what we are supposed to be? That's right. Beings. Yes, I would say no, we don't. And I think <laughs> that uh, there are a lot of expectations that are formed by the media and in particular now that not just that we have the internet because we've had the internet for quite some time but even uh influencers on instagram or on tiktok are talking about what their bodies look like showing off what their bodies look like and then the people who are highlighted on tv and in magazines so we do have an ideal that is promoted and even from the time we're young of mm -hmm. what beauty is and what a beautiful body looks like. And yes, there are messages that are given to us from the time we're young that we should be striving to meet this ideal, but that ideal is not realistic for most people. There are some people who naturally have that body type of a model, for example, but most people don't, but there are all of these people striving to try to get there. And so, no, I don't think that it's realistic for us all to look the same way. But unfortunately, that's sort of what's been promoted. Right. And it's kind of boring, all... too, if we all look the same. Right. <laughs> well, and then there's all of these diets out there that tell you, mm -hmm. oh, buy our diet or join this program, and you'll look yeah. more like this beauty standard, which right. again, instead of realistic. you can look like your unique self and be healthy and active and happy which is Correct. what we really want to strive for <laughs> and what we want for our patients as physicians. Correct. Also exactly. It's not, I want you to eat this pill for the rest of your life. It's I want you to keep your blood pressure down. <laughs> right. Yes. Do you, are you able to use the techniques that you've learned as a life coach with your patients in practice or as a hospitalist, are you a little more constrained? I would say to a certain degree. Now, as a hospitalist, I am very busy. And so I don't have time to sit down for a full-on coaching session. But I do find that I'm more inquisitive, asking people more open-ended questions. Why do you think that way? How does that thought make you feel? So I do ask some more of those types of questions. I do talk to people sometimes about their mindset. Mm -hmm. But yes, medicine in general is very fast-paced and so mm -hmm. I don't have the same 30 minutes to an hour that I have with a client whenever I'm coaching with them 
Yeah, it's a bit of a luxury, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so do you did you grow up in Texas? I did not. I grew up in Tennessee. Okay. okay. I, I think I've only been to Texas once. And I went to the State Fair, which is a very interesting place nutritionally. They fry butter. I mean, it's really quite not in butter. They fry butter. <laughs> yes, no, definitely. <laughs> do you fight um, a lot of, uh, do, do your clients find those kind of the cultural messages that they've received difficult? Is that what they're dealing with mostly? Or is it individual psychological issues that, that have come to them through their families? I think there's Thanks. some of both for sure. Mm -hmm. Like I think that we definitely get a lot of messages from culture and we get a lot of messages from our family, but our families are raised in the culture too, right? Right. And right. So it's really interesting to see how many adults have ideas about food and their bodies that when you trace back to the origin of those ideas, it did come from their parents or maybe they mm -hmm. had a parent who was always talking about going on a diet or being on a diet or needing to lose weight or something, having too much sugar or carbs, their parent might've made comments about their body. Maybe their mm -hmm. parent encouraged them to clean their plate, no matter if they're full or not. They still told them they had to sit there and eat everything before they could get up. So there are a lot of messages that do come to us from our family. And then as you get older, you start interacting with your peers more. There's messages that come from your peer group too. Do you see just physicians or you see other professional women or everybody? Right. No, I, I would coach anyone who needs help. My interest is in helping physicians because I am a physician. I know the unique challenges that I had as a physician as it relates to binge eating myself and then overcoming the binge eating. And so I f definitely feel like I can relate to physicians but I want to help anybody who wants help, anyone who, you know, feels like they don't have control over their eating. They feel like they can't stop. They don't know why. They don't understand why they can't just eat one. Um, sometimes I say, I want to help that person who gets so frustrated and they throw the cookies in the trash can, then they can't stop thinking about the cookies and they go to the trash can and get the cookies out and keep on eating them. Like, I want to help that person who feels hopeless and that, that mm -hmm. there is like this is their life, that they're just doomed to chronically eat and feel out of control. And those are people that I want to help. Okay. What other support do you suggest for them besides the actual talking of coaching? What other right. modalities do you include? And so I would say that it depends on how severe on a spectrum someone's, you know, binge eating is. I mainly focus on binge eating. But mm -hmm. there is something actually called binge eating disorder. And if you officially have binge eating disorder, and if, and if you're not sure, you can go to your primary uh, physician. They can maybe do some screening. But if you officially have binge eating disorder, part of your uh, treatment team does need to be a team who specializes in that. So maybe a psychiatrist, mm -hmm. a dietitian, a therapist who specialize in binge eating disorder. You can still have a coach on your team. And I had a coach on my team because... I loved, well, for a couple of reasons. I loved that I could have more frequent contact with my coach and that mm -hmm. person was a more frequent point of support for me. But mm -hmm. then also because I would talk to my therapist and my dietitian about very specific things related to the binge eating disorder. 
but there are other things happening in my life. I'm still a whole person with a lot of other things happening. Some of those things I would react by eating. Those were things my coach could help me with. And so I would say, depending on the severity, you may need a team like a dietitian with therapists, possibly a psychiatrist as well as a coach. But I, I am biased, but I think coaching can help no matter what the issue is. Mm -hmm. No, sorry, but I've been out of clinical medicine for a long time. Binge eating disorder is new to me. Binge eating is not. <laughs> Emotional eating is not. And bulimia certainly is not. So where does it fall in that spectrum? Mm -hmm. So it is an actual eating disorder. So if you were to go to the, uh, they call it the DSM, the Diagnostic mm -hmm. Manual that has all the diagnoses for mental health. Um, they're up to DSM-5 now. And just like there's anorexia and there's bulimia, there is binge eating disorder. And so it has very specific criteria, in part dealing with the severity of it, the mm -hmm. frequency, et cetera. Uh, but there is an actual diagnosis. The reason I got really interested in this was because if you have the diagnoses, there's treatment available. But mm -hmm. there are so many people who maybe don't meet the full-on criteria for binge eating disorder. They have some measure of disordered eating, but it's not to the point where they would ever go to an inpatient treatment center or anything like that. But I still felt like there are so many people that needed to hear what I had learned and struggle with their eating and have some sort of disordered eating or just thoughts about food being good and bad, and they feel guilty based on what they eat, and they obsess over food. And I said, you know, these things I learned can help so many people. And mm -hmm. only a small amount of them are going to officially have this disorder and go to treatment. Well, pre like presumably, do. you don't just wake up one day and have binge eating disorder. There must be a, a pathway there. So hopefully you can interrupt that pathway and reach right. them earlier. Right. Do you, yeah. do you work with adolescents at a time no. when a lot? Okay. I don't. Because your internal medicine, not peace. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. But you are correct. I mean, that's a very vulnerable time. Yeah, I think it, probably a lot of it comes from that that time. Yes. Um, do you consider emotional overeating uh, as part of the same? Yes, I, I usually will kind of go with whatever words <laughs> the client uses. But I will say that there is a lot of emotional overeating that goes into binge eating. So I was talking to a client just today and we were talking about this and about the importance of being able to identify your emotions and know when you are feeling angry or anxious, right. sad, even be, you know, being able to feel it in your body and know what that feels like so that you can start realizing, wait a second, okay, this is anxiety. I'm not actually biologically hungry. I'm anxious. That's why I'm wanting to eat. And yeah. so the emotional side is an important component, being able to recognize your emotions and know that maybe what my body needs isn't food. Maybe it needs something to help right. calm down as, this anxiety. Yeah. As a hypnotist, I quite often see people who um, they finally back from work. Somebody was mean to them. I mean, they have to really think, why do they feel so crummy? And their immediate response, they're not even thinking it. They just immediately, it's a bag of chips or, or they don't have the energy to, to find 
healthy food, they just grab the first thing and before they realize it, they're at the bottom of the bag or they've eaten a sleeve of Oreos or, or whatever. And if they, they need to track back what's happened through the day, that's why are they re rewarding them? You can't see my inverted commas here on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> why are they rewarding themselves this way? And they know that they're hurting themselves right? Um, when they think about it, but it's, it, they're, they're just on remote control. Exactly. Like sometimes it's hard to interrupt <laughs> that cycle because you're right. You get into this pattern of you feel something. And that's why I said it, it does become important to learn how to identify emotions. Right. You just know you don't feel good and you know that food always makes you feel better. So you just right. stay in that pattern. But it, it does become very helpful to be able to kind of stop for a moment and say, wait a second, what am I feeling? What do I really need right now? I know it's not food. So what is it that I need? And that can be very helpful. Walk, walk, walk me through a, a standard. Would you, do you have a certain pattern that you follow? Do you group coaching or individual? I do both. Um, okay. But one of my favorite things is actually a concept called intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's an official concept created by two dietitians. Uh, possibly, I don't know when this podcast is coming out. I may have be done. <laughs> in a couple of weeks, okay, I was going to say, I may be done with my certification. I'm actually getting certified by the founders of Intuitive Eating to become we'll a have certified to have you back. <laughs> yes, intuitive eating counselor. And I love that technique. So that is, I would say, one of the main foundations of mm -hmm. what I use to help my clients are the principles of intuitive eating. Good. Do you do work with them also on additional expenditure of calories? Do you, do you help them get, get more active? So one concept in intuitive eating is actually focusing on movement, you know, exercise, mm -hmm. moving your body, but more so because we know that there are health benefits of exercise, mm -hmm. not because we're doing it to try to make up for something we ate earlier or to punish ourselves or hoping that if we exercise this amount, we're going to lose X number of pounds. Right. But we also know that that does depress appetite <laughs> when it's unhealthy appetite and, and also lifts people out of depression. Right. Exactly. If and so, mm -hmm. yes. So I definitely think, you know, movement has a lot of positive benefits. The main focus I have is I don't want people just turning it into another diet tool no. because I am... I call myself a binge eating coach. I also in the past have called myself an anti-diet coach because I want to offer an alternative. There are a lot of people who have been on diet after diet after diet and it's not working and they're sick of it. And so I want to offer an alternative of how they can live life, manage their food, their bodies without dieting. There's also the fact that, you know, words used to have meanings that we knew. Um, diet is that which you habitually eat. And, if, and when we go on a diet, we eventually come off the diet. So you need to learn what's healthy for you. So where do you see your coaching practice going? Are you, are you, do you think you'll scale back on your hospitalist work or do you, would you miss it terribly? <laughs> I, at this point, I still would miss it. Um, mm -hmm. I have thought maybe when I retire from practicing medicine, this would be something that I would use, um, you know, to still be able to work and fulfill mm -hmm. that part of me that wants to help people and wants to contribute. But right now I enjoy the combination of the two. I love seeing patients. And then when I'm off, I love coaching. I mm -hmm. actually, it's interesting. I feel that coaching and having this other avenue has actually helped 
decrease burnout and increase my longevity in medicine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Interestingly, a change, a change is good for you. That's right. Plus, and plus, a lot of, of course, the mindset work helps to decrease right. burnout. And, and so I have noticed a lot of physicians actually have found that as they've gotten more in coaching, they become happier with their jobs. Right. I think there's also the fact with when I was, I was ER. So you, anybody that had to come to me, came to me. Whereas a coach is, it's a self-selected group. These are people who are willing to do work on it. Correct. I see an awful lot of patients where you advise them to do all sorts of things and they don't follow through or they don't follow through fully. There's things that can help them, but they, you've got a, it's a two-way street. It's a partnership. <laughs> it's a physician or as a coach. It has to be a two-way street. No, that's definitely yeah. true. The, the clients coming to you as a coach are motivated. Like they are mm -hmm. wanting to make the change and get to something better in the future for their life. Are you, what certificate are you going to go afterwards? Because I know people just collect these certificates. Are you, is there some other, is there some <laughs> other wonderful thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I just, intuitive eating just has changed my life. So that was why I really became interested in intuitive eating. I, um, I'm not sure <laughs> what else, <laughs> but you're correct. It's funny. I think once people find coaching, they fall in love with coaching so much mm -hmm. and they see other certificates and you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds interesting. You know, I'd love to learn that. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned how you're a hypnotist. I know several coaches who have gone to get training in that. Like you just, mm -hmm. you just love learning and yeah. you love learning new modalities to help people. Right. That's great. We just need to get more of it into mainstream medicine so that we can get ahead of the curve and not have to treat people when they're moribund, get, get them healthier yes. to start with. Yeah. yeah. And we, there's a group of us, you know, a lot of uh, physician coaches are trying to bring coaching to the staff as well, you know, mm -hmm. to physicians, to residents, and then ultimately expand to the staff because obviously we believe in coaching. And so we believe that the people who work in healthcare could also benefit from having coaches too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But not as a band-aid, not as an administrative, oh, we have a coach for that. So now your burnout's right. not a problem anymore. <laughs> we really need to address the, the it, real issues. Oh, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no. <laughs> I always tell people, because I do uh, coach on burnout some, that there's a component of burnout that you're in control of, and then you're absolutely right. There's a huge component that your health system has to take control over. Yeah, and, and so of course, the, the, the pandemic, and there's a new variant coming out again, so who knows what will happen next. But that, that has had such a huge impact because it made people feel so hopeless exactly. and helpless. As, and we, we're generations of doctors now have had pills that work for things. You know, right. we, could, we could fix it. We are, we are faced with um, an issue that we, we didn't have an answer for for a long time. Now, of course, vaccines are wonderful, but they're not, it, nothing's everything. Right. So... You uh, practice in which you, you practice in Texas. Which town are you in in Texas? I'm right outside of Austin. Do you work online or do you only see people in person? In person. Mm -hmm. Okay. M many many coaches have moved online. Is that a preference or just for coaching? I think yes, um, because coaching online allows you to have clients, you know, anywhere essentially. Mm -hmm. 
And so, but you know, it's interesting with the pandemic, a lot of not just physicians, but dietitians, therapists, et cetera, have all moved online as well, or they offer that now as an option, which I think is great mm -hmm. because it increases access to care. Mm -hmm. It also allows us to be in different time zones. So I can see somebody at my 12 o'clock, which is their five o'clock, they're finished with work. <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah. Yes. That's one of the really nice things. Even now I've noticed I established care recently with a new physician and they said, well, do you want to come into the office or do it online? Mm -hmm. I was like, online. Yeah. <laughs> I have no <laughs> desire to drive into the office. Yeah. It is nice to see people in person sometimes, but yeah, it's, right. it's really good as a hypnotist because they, they're just in their own home. They can be totally comfortable. I think we're going to go fight traffic to get there. So. Right. Yeah, it's no, I have helpful. a friend who uh, was learning the skill, and so I did a practice session with her, and mm -hmm. it was really interesting. I think it did help. So I, there's, that, that's another podcast. There's <laughs> yeah. lots and lots of things that can, my, my main interest is getting more doctors to know that hypnosis can use, can be used for so many things. Right. Yeah, you know, not, it doesn't cure cancer. It's there to help. It's an Right. added modality we can use right which is yeah, no, I, which is what it, coaching really is interesting yeah i thought yeah. it was very very helpful well thank you so much it's so nice of you to come if you have any oh, other yeah. words you'd like i will certainly include in the show notes your uh your contact information do you prefer people yeah. to write to you phone you just go to oh, your sure. website well, and book or <laughs> they can the... go to my website which is foodfreedommd.com I also have a podcast called Diet Culture is BS. And so they can check out my podcast. And I would love to work with you if you are struggling with food, feel like you just cannot stop eating, you know something's wrong, don't know how to stop, definitely message me. I would love to work with you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us at Myth Magic Medicine. If you have found this episode useful, you can apply for free CME credit through the link provided in the transcript. If you're not a medical professional, please remember, while we're physicians, we're not your physicians. So please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next time, bye-bye.